All right, we've been, uh, on Sunday mornings, we've been looking at the minor prophets, minor prophets, major messages. Uh, We're going through 12 of these on Sunday morning. So far, we have looked at seven of these uh, minor prophets, all the way from Hosea to Joel to Obadiah to Jonah to Micah to Nahum. Uh, We've looked at uh, seven different ones, and today, we're going to look at my favorite one, the book of Habakkuk also known as Chewbacca. Habakkuk, chapter 1. Uh, he, is, uh, he is the one person in the Old Testament, above anybody else, who had a truly honest conversation with God. No sugarcoating, no uh, rose-colored glasses, Uh, Habakkuk was not someone who lived among the flowers and the butterflies all the time and had uh, fragrance around him all the time. No, no. He had an honest conversation with God. And uh, he's my kind of person. He's the reason. His honesty is the reason he's my favorite book. Uh, I want us to look. We're going to read. There are three chapters in Habakkuk. We're going to read portions of all three chapters. Not all three chapters, but portions of them. And then I want to... Uh, take us through uh, perhaps a modern-day parable of what Habakkuk and his what Habakkuk's conversation with God might have been if it took place this week. Habakkuk chapter one, beginning with verse number one. This is the message that the prophet Habakkuk received in a vision. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Violence is everywhere. I cry. But you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous so that justice has become perverted. So the Lord replied, well, look around at the nations. Look. And be amazed, for I am doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe, even if someone told you about it. I am raising up the Babylonians, a cruel and violent people. They will march across the world and conquer other lands. They are notorious for their cruelty, and they do whatever they like. Their horses are swifter than cheetahs and fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their charioteers charge from far away. Like eagles, they swoop down to devour their prey. On they come, all bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind, sweeping captives ahead of them like sand. They scoff at kings and princes and scorn all their fortresses. They simply pile ramps of earth against their walls and capture them. They sweep past the wind and are gone, but they are deeply guilty for their own strength is their God. And then Habakkuk responds to God's response. O Lord, my God, my Holy One, you who are eternal, surely you do not plan to wipe us out. O Lord, our rock, you have sent these Babylonians to correct us, to punish us for our many sins. But you are pure and cannot stand the sight of evil. Will you wink at their treachery? Should you be silent while the wicked, as in the Babylonians, swallow up people more righteous than they? 
And then chapter 2, verse 1. Habakkuk says, I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. Then the Lord said to me, write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. This vision is for a future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed Look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked, but the righteous will live by his faithfulness to God. And then skip to verse 20. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. And then skip finally to chapter 3, verse 2. Habakkuk says, I've heard all about you, O Lord. I'm filled with awe by your amazing works. In this time of our deep need, help us again as you did in years gone by. And in your anger, remember your mercy. Then finally skip to verse 16. Habakkuk again says, I trembled inside when I heard this. My lips quivered with fear. My legs gave way beneath me and I shook in terror. I will wait quietly for the coming day when disaster will strike the people who invade us. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread among the heights. I get up every morning and I eat breakfast, oatmeal. And I make a pot of coffee and drink half of it. Amanda drinks the other half of it. And I read three different newspapers. I'm a newsaholic. Some people say you shouldn't read the news or watch the news that much because there's so much bad news. And there is. Now, there's good news too, but there's so much bad news. For instance, the Sanders family. The Sanders family has two daughters. Those daughters are in school. They make really good grades, and their parents are very uh, proud of these two daughters for the grades that they make. And they decided, after the, at the end of the last semester, the, the girls' grades were so good, they decided to host a party, a celebration party, to celebrate the fact that the grades were so good. And the girls invited some friends. And those friends, without really having been given permission to do so, text messaged other friends. And those friends sent text messages to other friends to the point that on the night of the party, there were at least 100 teenagers and young people who were gathered inside and outside the Sanders home. Many more than the Sanders parents uh, 
had expected or anticipated or planned for. And so they, they tried to hold the party together, even with all those, those throngs of young people. And finally at 1130, it had gotten so out of hand that they called the party off, called it to a close, and sent everybody home. In the hustle and bustle to get out of the house, some little fights erupted here and there. One of the fights involved a boy and a girl. They got into an argument, and a girl slapped the boy. But the boy had been raised not to hit girls. And so he said, I'm not going to hit a girl. I've been raised not to hit a girl. But the next boy who walks my way... I'm going to hit him. And when he turned down by the sidewalk, the next boy who came by was a young boy who also made good grades. His name was Bobby Tillman. And the boy who'd made the threat, along with at least three of his friends, may have been more. The stories are jarbled at this point, but at least four of them went down and they began to beat on Bobby Tillman for no apparent reason. And finally, after they had hit him enough in the head and in the midsection, he fell and they continued to kick him. One girl came down and tried to stop them, but she was to no avail, while about 50 or 60 other, other young people gathered around and watched what happened. When they finally stopped beating him, Bobby Tillman managed to stand up but only for a moment, and he collapsed to the ground. For one of the kicks to his rib area had broken some ribs, and the shard from two of the ribs had protruded into his heart, and he was dead. Bad news. This week I read a report, a survey that was conducted by the Pew Research Center in, in association with Time Magazine. They interviewed 2,691 adults from October the 1st to October the 21st. Over a 21-day period, a three-week period, they interviewed people on the subject of the family. And the, the survey highlights some rapidly changing notions about what uh, uh, the family is and how Americans now define family. And it's so earth-shaking that the U.S. Census Bureau is now planning to incorporate broader definitions of family when measuring poverty and so forth. For instance, uh, here's, here's one of the things they found. 29% of children under 18 now live with a parent or parents who are either not married or no longer married. That's a five-fold increase since 1960. In the survey, 39%, roughly four out of ten Americans, said marriage is becoming obsolete. The U.S. Census data in September shows that marriages in America have hit an all-time low of 52% of Americans ages 18 and older. It's the lowest point in the history of our country. About 44% of the people said that they, they have lived with a partner without being married. 
And for 30 to 49-year-olds, that share of the population rose to 57%. 57% of the people ages 30 to 49 said they live with, with a partner without being married. The number of children living with a grandparent rose sharply for the second year in a row to, get this, seven and a half million children in America live with a grandparent. That's 10% of the children under 18 live with a grandparent. More than a fifth of children living with their grandparent did not have a parent living in the house. It's interesting. I received an email the other day. You're not going to believe this. Well, maybe you will believe this. I received an email from a preacher. It was one of those forwarded emails. I almost deleted it. I almost always delete forwarded emails. Because usually, 99.9% of the time, they are junk. But this was from a preacher. I recognized his email address. And so I opened up the forwarded email. And there was a story about a very, a, a very famous and well-known figure in America... And this preacher had sent to me and to about 50 other people this story about this well-known public figure. And I had seen the story before, and I knew that the story was false. And so I sent an email back to the preacher, along with links to articles that showed him that that the story was false. He never did send out a correction to it. But not only that, in the body of his email, not only did I see his email address, but I saw the email address of the person who sent it to him. And I recognized the email address. It was a Christian, a very committed, devoted Christian. And this Christian had sent this false email out to a whole bunch of people, including this preacher, who then had turned around and sent it to a bunch of people, including myself. And the email, the story, was false. Now, I analyze too much. Some of you know that. I apologize for that. It's just in my DNA. And I began to analyze this thing. These this Christian, and then later this preacher who sent out this email, had one of two options. Either they did a fact check on this story and realized it was false, but sent it anyway. Or they saw the story and they liked the way the story read and decided, I'm not going to check it out. I'm just going to send it anyway. And either way, it was bad news. Back in June, the Southern Baptist Convention met for our annual meeting in Orlando, Florida. The big issue, which few lay people in the Southern Baptist churches knew anything about, was the issue was something called Great Commission Giving. Great Commission Giving. Our giving, as you know, for our missionaries is through 
a, a program called the Cooperative Program. And every church in the Southern Baptist Convention is encouraged to give at least 10% of your general offerings to the Cooperative Program to support our missionaries both in North America and around the world. Over 10,000 missionaries around the world. And every year, the number of messengers that you can send to the convention is dependent upon the, the, your membership plus the amount of money that you give to our missionaries through the cooperative program. And there was a move made by task force that we change the way we report our dollars so that a church doesn't necessarily have to give it to the cooperative program. They just have to give it to what they call Great Commission Giving. Now, that could include the cooperative program, but it also could be broadened to include any Southern Baptist ministry any recognized Southern Baptist ministry. And there were some people who were opposed to this because they thought that it would jeopardize the overall giving to the cooperative program, that it would dilute that cooperative program giving. And so as the debate wore on in in June in Orlando, uh, Dr. John Waters, the, the pastor of the First Baptist Church in Statesboro, Georgia, got up and offered an amendment that basically said that we would approve the Great Commission giving recommendation with one amendment. The amendment being, as long as we recognize that our primary source of supporting our missionaries is the cooperative program. After some debate, the convention, by a margin of about 70%, approved the entire report with the amendment But it probably, we don't know for sure, but probably would not have passed had it not been for that amendment that said our primary source of giving is the cooperative program with the recommendation that churches give at least 10% of their budgets to the cooperative program. In that same meeting where the convention affirmed the cooperative program and 10% of the cooperative program, we also elected a brand new president of the Southern Baptist Convention, a man who's, who's a great guy, pastor of a large church, but whose church gives, get this, 4.5% of their offerings to the cooperative program. Isn't that a contradiction, don't you think? We vote for cooperative program to be our primary funding, 10%, and yet turn right around and we elect a president who gives 4.5%. Oh, by the way, by the way, since June, that man's church has decreased it to 3.5%. And he was asked why in an interview, and he said, well, because of the economy, because of the economic crisis. Now, the interesting thing about that is, is the outgoing president of the Southern Baptist Convention was also a pastor of a mega church, and when he was elected... To the convention, with, with all of our leaders encouraging at least 10%, our church gives 13 and a quarter percent. But the previous president was at a church that gave 2.9%. And when I think about this contradiction, things like that kind of eat me up, kind of put me in a sour mood. And I looked at that and I said, that's not good news. I look at the government in our country. Historians have said, people who are smarter than I have said, that we as a nation and we as a government are more polarized now than at any other time in our nation's history. That's a major statement. Back when the founding fathers were 
Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, so forth, were running for office. People were so mean that they'd put nasty editorials in the paper and they would put a false name. They wouldn't even put their own name there. That's pretty nasty. And historians are saying that it's nastier now than it's ever been. I was down at a country cafe recently. I snuck away for lunch. I was by myself. Sometimes I just go by myself. My staff won't eat lunch with me. <laughs> I was by myself. I was seated at a little four-top table, just me. Waitress brought me some, some tea. To my left in the next table, there were, there were four guys, and they were having a conversation. There was no way I couldn't hear them. I didn't talk to them. I was just seated there, and they were talking. And the conversation went around to everything from the Braves to the weather to politics. And, and, and obviously, these, among these four men, there were divergent opinions, which made the conversation really lively. More lively than I cared to know about. And then one of them made this statement. He said, well, I'll tell you one thing. He said, I don't know what the answer is. But he, and he said, not that I'm necessarily for it, but he said, I don't know, but, but that what we need is a good old-fashioned assassination. And I turned and I looked. And at the same time that I looked at him, he looked at me. And he said, just saying. Amanda and I have a very good friend who three years ago was accused of a crime that he did not commit. And she and I know this person well enough that we not only believe he didn't commit it, but we knew that he hadn't committed it. There was no evidence. At the trial, there was one person who testified against him. The testimony was not true. And much to our shock, a jury convicted him of that crime. You ever had a close friend convicted of a crime that he or she didn't commit and you knew they didn't? And there was not a bloody thing you could do about it? All of these things were happening and... I began to talk with the Lord because nobody else that I could talk with had answers to all these bad things that were happening. I said, Lord, look at everything that's happening. Look at what's happening. There's evil all around us. And Lord, I know you're God and I know you love us and I know you care about us. But pardon me, but it, it just seems like you don't care. It seems like you're not involved. It seems like you're silent. Even when we cry out for a certain event, a certain conclusion to happen a certain way and you believe with all your heart that that conclusion is, is God's will and you pray for it and he still doesn't come through with that. God, why are you so silent when evil is running rampant? And God spoke to me. It was in the late, late at night. I was in my bed. I couldn't sleep. It was about 3 a.m. I said, God, what's going on? And God spoke to me and he said, uh, Jim, I've actually seen the evil in this country. I know all about it. I'm not asleep. 
And even though you might think that I'm silent, I'm, I've been busy at work. In fact, I've been busy at work raising up a country to judge America for her evil. I said, really? Who? He said, I'm raising up China. A great and populous country that will overrun America. I said, what? He said, oh, yes. He says, haven't you noticed? They have over 1.3 billion people. Did you know that's four times the population of the United States? Did you know that they, every one out of five people in the world is Chinese, a citizen of China? Did you know that China is the second largest economy in the world and the fastest growing economy in the world? Did you know that the Chinese buy more televisions, cars, homes, cell phones than any other country on the planet? Did you know that there are more households with Internet access in China than there are people in the United States? Did you know that Chinese students spend on average 40 more days a year in class than do their American counterparts. Did you know that Chinese students can speak both Chinese and English by the end of the fifth grade and that the entire English-speaking population of China is greater than the entire population of the United States? Did you know, you knew this, China is the second largest trading nation in the world. They are the largest exporter in the world. And within the next five to seven years, they will surpass the United States as the largest manufacturer in the world. Oh, you knew this. In 2008, September of 2008, China replaced Japan for the first time as the largest foreign holder of U.S. Treasury securities. They hold our loan of, 500, of, of 800, $885 billion. Japan holds $863 billion. China now has the largest foreign exchange reserves in the world. God says, haven't you noticed? Oh, I put you a picture up here. That's a picture of Shanghai, China in 1990. Look at it really good. Look at it closely. Okay? I'm going to give you five seconds to look at it really closely. 1,001, 1,002, 1,003, 1,004, 1,005. Danny, will you change it to the next one? Oh. Wow. Shanghai, China. That photograph was taken just a few weeks ago from the same vantage point. Back to the one before it, Dana. Look at that. Before, 20 years ago, after. Wow. I said, Lord, you can't let China overrun America. Their citizens have little freedom. Their government is repressive. It's communist. They have passed a policy restricting every one of their families to one child only. And they have also enforced, uh, uh, forced abortions in order to make sure that families adhere to that one child per family policy. Lord, you can't let them overrun us. And the Lord said to me, Jimmy, sure I can.
and you'll never understand what I do and how I do it. You just have to trust me. The Lord said to me, what is happening is beyond your ability, Jimmy, to understand it. But remember, those who are mine will, by being faithful to me, persevere. And so to Habakkuk, Chewbacca, and me, and you, God responds that even when things go from bad to worse, get this, God is in control. He has a plan that we cannot fully understand, nor will we fully understand, and we must trust him. Now, what I shared with you is a parable. But I felt like I needed to tell the story that way because just reading Habakkuk's story, we don't think that could happen to us. Just like Habakkuk didn't think that could happen to them. But guess what? It did. It did happen to them. And it could happen to us. The question is not if something like that will or could happen to us. The question is this. If it does, will we still put our faith in the God who controls the universe? That's the question. Now, that's not an easy question to answer. But that is the question. That's the question you and I have to answer. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father... Lord, sometimes things go from bad to worse. Sometimes we wonder if you're really in control or assuming you are in control, we wonder why you don't appear to be doing anything about what's going on in our world. Sometimes the worst possible things happen for no reason. Sometimes even your people are contradictory or dishonest. Lord, we look at the leaders of our country, of both parties, and they just can't act civil. And Lord, we look around the world at the way people feel about us, and we realize that what happened to Habakkuk and the people of Judah could very easily happen to us. Lord, help us to place our trust in you. Lord, I pray first of all that someone who's, who's here today who has never received you as Savior will start that walk with you by coming to this altar and inviting you into their hearts. Lord, I pray that those of us who've been saved will, will reevaluate our own hearts and minds to see where we stand with you. See if there needs to be a, uh, a check on where we stand. I pray for people who need to come and join this church today. Lord, wake us up. Wake us up with a renewed commitment to be just like Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.